0: Welcome to This Week in Health IT, it's Newsday. My name is Bill Russell, former healthcare CIO for a 16-hospital system and creator of This Week in Health IT, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to Sirius Healthcare, Health Lyrics, and Worldwide Technology, who are our Newsday show sponsors for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health IT leaders. We set a goal for our show, and one of those goals for this year is to grow our YouTube followers. Uh, We have about 600-plus Followers today on our YouTube channel. Why, you might ask, because not only do we produce this show in video format, but we also produce four short video clips from each show that we do. If you subscribe, you'll be notified when they go live. We produce produce those clips just for you, the busy health IT professional. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, we also launched Today in Health IT, a weekday daily show that is on todayinhealthit.com. We look at one story each day and try to keep it to about 10 minutes or less. So it's really digestible. This is a great way for you to stay current. It's a great way for your team to stay current. In fact, if I were a CIO today, uh, I would have all my staff listening to Today in Health IT so we could discuss it. You know, agree with the content, disagree with the content. It is still a great way to get the conversation started. So check that out as well. Now, on to today's show. Today, this week in Health IT, it's Newsday and... Hims is over. Technically, it's over, but we're recording this on Wednesday, so we are just in the beginning. So we have some stories from Hims, and we're gonna we're gonna go through those. We're actually gonna focus in on a theme today with our guest, Anne Weiler, who is the former health tech founder and advisor to this week in health IT. And we're gonna focus in on digital. We're gonna focus in on some of the announcements, some of the interesting talks that were out there, and see where it takes us. So, Anne, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. I'm happy to be here, as always.
0: I wish I could say I was happy to be here. I'm happy to be here with you, but I, I really, uh, there's part of me that misses going to hymns. <laughs> I, 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 that just sounds kind of weird because it is sort of love-hate. I mean, there's aspects yeah. of it that I really dislike, and then there's aspects of it that I miss. I mean, there's such a concentrated, for somebody who really loves this stuff, there's such a concentrated content. I mean, just great yeah. people talking And it's that part of it too. It's great people. So it's interacting with great people, really understand, have a passion for healthcare. And it's just a week of that. And it's a lot of fun. And so we're not there. So we are experiencing this remotely. When I was CIO, it was kind of funny because we had 10 spots that we could send. All right. I had 700 people that reported to me, which didn't include a whole bunch of other things. And I could send 10 people to Hims, and Now I know what it feels like for the other 690 who didn't get to go to HIMSS. You read about it in the news, you follow it on social media, and you hit some of the digital sessions, but it's really, it's not the same.
1: No, definitely not. I I didn't even think about that, having been there as a vendor, and we had to go, (laughs) but you got to be there as a vendor. If you're not there, are you actually even in healthcare, on the health? care organization side, the number of people who were in the organization who wanted to go each year and probably never got an opportunity to and maybe didn't have many conferences they could go to. There's always conferences.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I've gotten a couple of comments from people. Hey, comment on hymns and, and that kind of stuff. And and I, I don't think I'm going to do it. And the reason I'm not going to do it is because I don't think it adds to the conversation. I don't think it benefits. I think they they were thrust into a very difficult situation last year. Absolutely. They're doing the best they can this year. And it's, yeah. it's just a very, I mean, it's like bad luck at the beginning of the pandemic. And right now when it's, you have the Delta variant at its peak right now, they couldn't have had worse luck over two yeah. years if they tried.
1: I will say that just like just conferences in general, I think there's been a huge span of how people have chosen to go digital. And HIMS, I think HIMSS could do a little better being a tech conference. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I think it was like CNBC. It was back when Christina Farr was still there and they had a full day conference. And the whole thing was online. but It was designed to be online. like It really had that you could actually chat with people online. And I'm hoping that as this continues, we actually get better at this because thinking about your 700 people who didn't get to go to hymns, imagine that they actually got more—not just viewing this content, because the content's great, but the interactions, as you mentioned, are also great. How can we enable a better digital experience for live and hybrid events? And I think all the whole conference industry has gotten shaken up by this, and I hope that they they realize it's not a it's not a cannibalization of an event that they're actually increasing their market size. To your point, you've got 10 people. Imagine that you could have paid some smaller amount of money and had 700 people participating virtually. Right. That's an opportunity for both your staff and the conferences.
0: It's going to be interesting. The Chime conferences in October, health conferences a little bit before that. It still might be in October, but it's, it's actually before the Chime Fall Forum which is in San Diego. So San Diego and Boston, those are going to be probably masked mandatory states. If I thought about it,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: maybe by October it'll change. I think those conferences will, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to break through. I for one wish they would be just easier. The content would be easier to navigate. One of the things I used to do is the Chime Spring Forum used to be the day before Hym started. And yeah, I would I go that. and I'd go and sit in there, and the some of the talks were phenomenal. Some of the talks were not really geared for me. So I would take that time with my laptop and I'd go through almost every presentation that was going to be done at HIMS and I would organize it. Maybe that was the start of where This Week in Health IT came, but I would organize it. <laughs> And then I would send it out to my teams and I would say, hey, here are the five presentations on data science. Here are the five presentations on digital infrastructure. Here's the, and I'd I'd send it out to my team. So to give them sort of a taste of, hey, here's what's being presented. And then I'd ask them, do you want me to connect you with the the people who are doing the presentation or or that kind of stuff? That's how I would go through that. It it was arduous back then. It's not that much better now. There's just, there has to be a better way to organize it. And someone like Hims has the resources to, to do it really well, I think.
1: Yeah, we used to do that too. We would, before HIMSS, some, someone on my team would go through, pick all the sessions that we needed to get to, and then assign them to people to make sure that it was both education and seeing what health systems and competitors were up to. And yeah, it's, that's a huge effort.
0: Let me let me ask you this. I didn't really want to talk about him as much. We have five stories. Come on, it's him. I've interviewed you from the floor. How beneficial is it having space on the floor? Maybe not talking about this year, but when you did it,
1: as a small company, it's hard because you've seen the epic booths, (laughs) right? And there's also like the do you have coffee and what are the things that you have to get people to your booth? For us, it was an anchor that. We could use to set up meetings. We didn't get so much like serendipity because we're off on the side with all the startups, depending on the year. You never knew exactly where you were going to be. And sometimes the, there was the two floors of the trade show, and that was a hard one in Orlando. Anyway, it was really important so that people could find us. So we would set up the meetings in advance. And then I think it also provided a little bit of, I want to say legitimacy, but certainly, oh, yeah, okay, you've got a booth. There you are. <laughs> there, are there are people. There was one year we were in the startup area and we took five people, which doesn't sound like much, but it is when you only have a kiosk and we were so busy and all the other startups around, I could tell were a little envious. So it is, I think it is important. It's important to be there and having just even, it's not about, not so much about like, is your booth really fancy or anything. It's just to be able to actually have a place, that, especially for the people that you contact beforehand who are like, yeah, I'll stop by, but they don't give you an exact time because it's getting somebody to commit to a meeting can be hard, but everybody always came by. They sought us out. And so it is important, I think, to have at least some presence. And the thing about HIMSS is that they do recognize the importance of startups and they have options if you can't get a a 20 by 20. But that's, I think the problem was like, you go from the startup kiosk, you basically have to go to a 20 by 20 or nobody sees you.
0: (laughs) And it's a significant uptick in cost, isn't it?
1: significant, yes. But yeah, I think it's important.
0: Do you think they're, they're going to be able to retain the mantle? They, they had the mantle for years of you had to go to HIMSS. You talked about legitimacy. Yeah. And do you think they're going to be able to maintain that mantle after two years of sort of false starts?
1: I think so. Remember the health conference, the HLTH, when that one started... I mean, they, first of all, it's backed by venture. Second of all, they, it's a team that has actually disrupted the conferences, the go-to conferences in other industries. They became the de facto conference for retail and fintech, the conferences that they ran. You'll see sa- same thing with the cartoon faces and everything, same model, like machine. And when that one started, I was like, ooh, you know, hymns had better watch out because this is a modern conference and it's the visionary and they're not allergic to vendors. That was the one thing that always kind of bothered me. And I get it. Sometimes vendors get on stage and they just, they're pitching instead of talking about the outcomes that their customers had. But that conference, I felt like, ooh, they're going to draw, they're going to take the innovation piece of the market from Hims, And that's going to be challenging for Hims. I feel like now there's been a little bit of reset because that conference, it went online and I heard it's good. I didn't attend it, but it sort of seems like if you think about the anchors. I don't know if that that conference was around long enough. I think what's going to hurt is all of those smaller conferences that were are attempting to challenge HIMSS. I don't know if they're going to make it. HIMSS is going to make it. If I said to you, if HIMSS is going on next year and it's safe, you're going to go, right? Like you're not, yeah.
0: you're,
1: you're going to uh, go. Yeah,
0: I'm going. And <laughs> somebody asked me, they're, they're, they're like, do you think this is the end of HIMSS? I'm like, They still had 19,000 paying customers. It's seriously, I mean, yes, it's still an ongoing entity. Will they have to tighten their belt? Will they have to do things a little differently? Yeah, but they have a formula. If they maintain that mantle of you have to go, it'll be back up to 40,000 within two years.
1: Right, and then there's pent up demand from people not going. There's people that have never gone, like some of the the people on your team. I think that the, the opportunity is that whether they fix some of the stuff that, didn't work as well. That's the opportunity they have before everybody comes back is to actually learn the lessons from these, you know, innovation conferences that had more future looking stuff and learn those lessons and fix that. If we all go back in two years and it's the same old hymns, that's when I think they may have a risk.
0: Yeah. The health conference is a very different conference. You've attended that in person.
1: Yeah, I've spoken. I spoke at the first one, actually. It was really fun. Really, really yeah, fun. It's,
0: it, it, is, it, it has a different feel to it. Definitely a modern conference, as you as you called it. I think the other reason it's very different, the first one, at least, was a lot of tech startups and venture. It was a lot of money. It almost took there the was, place of the Health 2.0 conference, right?
1: Yes, it did. It, it,
0: did. It, it had that feel to it. And Health 2.0 was bought by HIMSS. To, and they proceeded to pretty much drive it into the ground because they didn't really know what to do with it, which is sort of what I'm trying to say here, which is the health conference. Right. If you want to be in deal flow, if you want to be talking to the money people, if you want to be talking to the startups, you really do have to go to the health conference. It is a really dynamic place to have those conversations. And the, it's interesting because there's a group of people that I will see at health that I'm looking forward to seeing that I would not have seen at him. They're just not even going.
1: Well, um, I will say that. Yeah, it was money, but the health systems were all there. I had so many meetings with big health systems at that conference. It wasn't just venture. It was I'll tell
0: you what's different though. The first one was not CIOs. But the CEOs were there. Yes. It's, they they yeah. got this they got the CEOs in as speakers yeah. and so they were roaming the halls and I was sitting there going, "Okay, that's another thing that made it very distinct." The other thing is yeah. they brought in the insurance, they brought in pharma, yeah. so payer, pharma, they brought them all in, and I thought this is interesting because they see it as an entire ecosystem addressing this this challenge. It, it was a pretty interesting conversation. Where do you think Health Evolution Summit? Where do you think that fits? That's a smaller conference, <laughs> and it but also has that sa- it also has that same health feel to it, except really high level talks. I found those talks to be some of the best that I've ever attended.
1: It offers the no press right, so people feel more comfortable saying things that they might not say if the press were there. So from that standpoint, that was a lot of the value and also just the small setting and the invite only. So if you got to be there, the access to people there was incredible because they were just like, Oh, you're here. Okay. I'll talk to you. I actually actually sort of had lunch with Judy at that conference.
0: Yeah. I've gone to that several times and it's, it, it is an exceptional conference. It's very personal. I mean, you, you just have great, and, and uh, it's, it's at the Ritz Carlton too. which but I was going to say, hurt.
1: it is ridiculously expensive. Again, as a startup, I got startup rates because they had to, because there's no way we could pay what the house systems were paying, but I still had to stay in an Airbnb. <laughs> like that's, yeah.
0: I live down the street, so I commuted every day to the conference. All right, we're going to get to stories. Let's let's hit some of these real quick. So, doctors look to tech. I, I like this one. Doctors look to tech for future, but need assurance it's going to work. Jesse Aaron Feld, former chair for the Board of Trustees of the AMA, and he says a couple of things here. I want to get your comments on. The AMA compared a survey on digital health adoption. Collected in 2019 and 2016 and found a small but significant increase in the advantages that physicians feel digital health can bring to their patients. Clearly, that's changed. He goes on to talk about that. I can only imagine what these data would look like today, Aaron Feld said, noting that the data was collected pre-COVID. The survey zeroed in on seven types of tools. This is what I'd like to talk to you about, including remote monitoring for efficiency remote monitoring and management for improved care, clinical decision support, patient engagement, televisit, point of care, and consumer access to data. He goes on to say doctors are especially interested in monitoring their patients outside the four walls of the hospital or clinic, which happens to be where you were living, while all digital tools have seen an increase in, well, I'm going to just skip to the end here. The survey results show that the number of physicians interested in adopting augmented intelligence tools is very high. However, current adoption, at least as of 2019, is very low. Let's talk about this statement Doctors are especially interested in monitoring their patients outside the four walls of the hospital or clinic. Do you think that was the case a couple of years ago? And do you think that's changed?
1: I don't think you can talk about doctors as a monolithic entity. I think it totally depends on. What type of doctor, what type of patient? Specialists who work with people with chronic diseases, absolutely. And they're frustrated that it's, first of all, hard to do. And second of all, how do you get paid for it? Your average sort of primary care probably doesn't want to. And, and, and maybe there's also the, they want someone to do it. But I don't know if the doctors want to do it. Right. Which right. is probably correct, right? The orthopedic surgeon wants good outcomes from the patient, but they're not the ones who are like, do your exercises, right? I think doctors want the access to the information, they want to help patients, but there's a, also a little bit of stuck in the system, right? It's, it's all about reimbursement. And so reimbursement, it's three things, reimbursement, liability, and time. Those are the barriers for them.
0: It's interesting <laughs> you bring that up because he goes on to say, while digital adoption has come a long way, he said- For tech to take off, generally, there are four questions that doctors really want to know. And you just nailed it. Does it work? (laughs) Will I get paid? Will I get sued? Will it work in my practice? Right? So the reimbursements matter. They matter a lot. Will I get sued? Is there liability? If you're going to put this information in front of me, do I have to act on it? Do I have to review this information? It's just an interesting concept. But doctors, I love the fact that you're saying don't talk about them as monolithic. Can we at least talk about certain practices as monolithic yeah. or not?
1: Um, well, I think setting of care matters, but at the same time, I think there you can definitely talk about types of practice because that will impact their need to engage with patients outside the clinic as well. I think your average primary care doctor in the current model, absolutely not. If we move to a different model for primary care and they have wraparound services and they have team-based models and then maybe they do, but for an average healthy person, like why does a primary, imagine that my, my primary care doctor had to have all my vitals. My I'm fine.
0: If, <laughs> you know? if you were developing a new tool, so you, you, you developed one before, if you were developing a new one, would you focus in on a specialty or would you try to address a broader challenge within healthcare that could be Addressed to multiple different specialties across the healthcare continuum.
1: Well, what I did was a broader tool, and I think maybe it, this is hard. This is a very hard question. Because- yeah, that's
0: that's the draw. You want it, You want it, <laughs> You want you want something with enough market share. Obviously, you want something that's
1: that's well enough market share, but also like when you're starting. You used to be a CIO. The CIO wants to standardize, which is why. You come in with a, an individual tool and they get frustrated. It's why Zelf exists. It's why people want to use the patient engagement stuff in Epic because they don't want a thing per specialty. Right. Um, I know from having built the tools that the repeatability is huge. And, and yet at the same time, I know that the specialties think that they're special, right? They're called specialties. Like mine couldn't possibly be the same. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for if you take the approach of just saying, which I didn't, so you learn from my lessons. Okay. We're only going to do the specialty until we have won the specialty over. And then we're going to do the next one. And that does get you. If the specialist can actually make the decision, that's part of the problem, right? Then we go back to who has to make the decision and are they going to buy a tool just for the specialty or are they going to look for something that everybody can use?
0: Yeah, it is a challenging problem. and, and, the age old thing I hear from CIO after CIO is if my EHR provider has a tool for it, that's what we're going to use because it's right. it's integrated, it's built. I don't have to worry about the conversation between the tool and the EHR provider and getting it integrated and that kind of stuff because it should be there and should be working. Let me give you the, the next story. And
1: Wait, before, I, before you do, I want to point something out on, on what, when you were describing all those capabilities from the standpoint of the health system, I was thinking about it from the standpoint of the patient. And from the standpoint of the patient, that should just be one thing.
0: <laughs> right. We, but we can't get... Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. That's where we should be going. We should go be, be going to the point where the patient is interacting with the health system more frequently so more digital touch points. This is what we were going for back in 2012 when we founded our digital group. We wanted more touch points. We only saw them once every, you know, for some people, you didn't even see them once a year, but our, our average patient, if I remember correctly, was 1.2 times a year yeah. is the number of times we saw them. And I'm like, well, digital gives us the opportunity to increase those touch points, but they're not going to be opening six apps. They want to open one app and say, schedule Great. an appointment, Text my doctor, text a nutritionist. They want, that's what they, that's nirvana, but it's so hard to get there because the back end for this, we had 800 apps and out of 1600 instances of those 800 apps. So even though we had 800 apps, you'd think, oh, you have 800 instances. No,
1: we
0: didn't. We had the same app, you know, instantiated four different ways across the health system. And we had trouble just bringing all those together to get a single build. So the back end is disjointed, which makes the front end and orchestrating the front end. And so in steps tools for our second story, like Salesforce, who says, hey, we're going to live one layer above the EHR. I I always thought this was an interesting strategy and and I want to talk about it. So we're going to live one layer above and where we're going to live is between where the consumer lives and where the uh, health system interacts with that consumer. And oh, by the way, we'll move information in and out. And so Salesforce rolled out Health Cloud in 2015. And full disclosure, I was on their advisory board back then. I think I was on for a year and a half before I left St. Joe's. And let me give you the story. So Salesforce rolls out cloud-based remote monitoring patient access tools. Sound interesting? I mean, we just talked about this. So Salesforce virtual care solutions also include patient self-scheduling tools, That suggests the right appointments for the patient at the right time, whether at home or in the office, to reduce no-shows, administrative costs, and time spent on calls. Technology company Salesforce has rolled out updates to its health cloud that advances its strategy of providing a front door to electronic health records, which, by the way, I think that phrase is wrong. We we are a front door to electronic health records. I don't want a front door to my electronic health record. I want a front door to to my health.
1: Yes. Or, to, or at least to my interactions with my healthcare provider.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, well, in fairness to them, somebody else wrote the article. They probably had something in their marketing and probably rolled their eyes when they read this. I can't believe that's how they put us.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, the company
0: which launched Health Cloud 2015 as a patient relationship management tool added new tools that enable providers to reach patients where they are, company executives said. So here's the big problem. I was a Salesforce customer. So we had an EHR and we had Salesforce. The integration was not simple by any stretch of the imagination. And the, especially scheduling. And I mean, there's just a lot of challenges for it. The other thing is Salesforce is, might as well be another EHR. It's really expensive.
1: Yes. Really expensive and requires huge amount of specialists.
0: Yeah. Well, and that was the other thing. So we made small pilots, and small investments. And every time we sat down, they were like, the reason you're not getting the most out of this tool is you need 15 people on staff dedicated to Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And eventually that number got to be 30. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. I mean, just based on the amount of usage and the amount of people you're asking me, this will literally be about the same size as handling my EHR team. Right. And, and made almost no sense, but still you have that, that need for something that the EHR providers are still clunky at, which is that patient engagement area.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I didn't really phrase that as a question, but it's more of, (laughs) does that tool that lives above the EHR, is there a space there or is that just getting squeezed to the point of, Hey, if I have Epic, I'm just going to wait for Epic to come up with their thing or.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, there's a lot of that. Definitely, I don't know. The question is things shift. I mean, even in non healthcare, right? Like where you go from the best of breed point solutions to the platform and back again. And right now, I think Epic's trying to be all things to all people. Will that change? I think the other question is is there a third party layer? Or is it like all these health systems have huge IT groups that are basically trying to build that layer and maybe they should because i don't know i don't know what that layer looks like that brings everything together that you don't have to manually bring together like well,
0: I, i'm hearing it's a
1: weird thing i mean yeah. unless unless you somebody at some point i'm trying to remember who this was but i looked at them and it really felt like their strategy was to kind of surround epic and make them just be like Kind of a database as opposed to an interaction I forget what company that was but obviously whoever it was didn't succeed in that well I, I, <laughs> I think it was like a big tech company but they didn't succeed in it because th- that hasn't changed
0: it's interesting because I, I I do a, a fair amount of our programming over here myself we're a small company and whatnot and we're always selecting tools that have the a modern internet architecture. Yeah. So they have the interfaces. They're designed to work this way. And for example, you can go into our WordPress site. You can register for something. It automatically moves it over into Zoho. It automatically signs you up for something else. And I'm connecting to four different tools. But to the end user, they just went to our website. And in the back end, the people who are doing the stuff around the CRM have access to it there. And the people who are doing you know, different aspects of our production, whatever, have access to it it there. Yeah. But the, the difference is that modern architecture is by design for most of these tools. They realize they live in a world where they're going to interact with things that they they haven't even imagined the different use cases. They just build the the links. I use I use Zapier a lot and it's an yeah. engine that just goes in and, and and taps into these APIs and makes it really visual for me to to go into. Those tools are not as prevalent in healthcare and I think the deficiency is the EHR providers haven't wanted that and no. have, have not made the investment in that.
1: Yeah, no. Oh, not that we have time today, but at some point we should talk about what Jonathan, what's his name? Sorry, Jonathan Bush is doing. Not today. We've run, I don't know if we have enough time. <laughs> no, not,
0: <laughs> not today. I, I would love, if anyone hears this and, and has access to Jonathan, I would love to have him on the show. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. The, the I, zoo. I don't. But, the the Zeus stuff is really interesting, yeah. And uh, as is the other company that he helped foster up there in uh, Boston as well. All right, we're always trying to learn from other industries, and that was sort of the point mm-hmm. of my story. Of if if we put the right architecture underneath this, healthcare would be a lot better off. But there are still people that are not incented to put that kind of architecture in place. So for What's whatever, going to
1: do that? How are they ever going to get incented? <laughs>
0: You know it's it's interesting because today's Wednesday. On Friday we released the episode with Glenn Tolman from Transcarent. So yeah. I, I interviewed Glenn a week and a half ago, and I asked him that question: "What's the future of the EHR?" And he's uniquely positioned to answer that question because he's trying to disrupt healthcare with Transcarent, yeah. has disrupted healthcare with Livongo, and he used to be the CEO at at Allscripts, and. He really just talked about the fact that the innovation has left the EHR. The innovators have gone outside and they're saying, we've got to do something completely different. And so you don't have the significant innovation. You also have fewer competitors. So you just don't have the innovation that you once had in that space. They don't have to move as fast. There's no threat of anyone coming in and stealing your client because it's a couple hundred million dollar decision every time you want to switch the EHR. And plus, you're going to lose your job 50% of the time, too, if you do it wrong. So there's just not a lot of innovation there. So likely what we're going to see, we're just going to see it from outside somehow, some way, shape, or form. And potentially what's going to happen is the healthcare providers become acute care centers and a whole bunch of other care is delivered with, with new technologies in different ways, likely.
1: Right.
0: I hope so. Yeah, me too. Here's an article I thought was interesting. Digital patient experiences can take cues from consumer centric companies such as Netflix. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, what can, in this straight from the article, what healthcare can learn from Netflix? As it turns out, healthcare can learn a lot from the streaming giant, particularly when it comes to engagement. This was a talk that somebody gave. I should give them credit. Of course, I can't find their name. So,
1: I I saw this one too. It was League, which is, Actually, I'm not entirely sure what they do. I think they're sort of an in-between insurance and provider type.
0: Andy Harlan. He's the head of platform partnerships and business and new development at a cloud technology company called League. Okay, there you go. What can healthcare learn from Netflix? As it turns out, they can learn a lot. When Netflix began, it offered DVD by mail service. Do you remember that? DVD by mail? Mm-hmm. Do you know what the uh, driver for Netflix was? He had a he had a video that was late. It was Apollo thirteen, and it was late. And he had a forty dollar fee late fee on the video. And he's, this is insane. This should never happen. And then he was also, he was looking at it and he he said, well, there has to be a better way to do this. And he looked at the membership model. He, he looked at his gym yeah. membership and he said, there has to be a better models. That, oh, that's what. Yeah. He, that's what he did. So they offered DVD by mail that engaged with its users based on a monthly or perhaps weekly basis. This is analogous to typical approach of healthcare providers, which is touch base with patients only a couple of times and in a given year. Flash forward to today and Netflix engages with its users on a daily basis through content streaming with customers able to access content at home or on their devices anywhere in the world. It's a model healthcare should emulate, Sid Harlan. The healthcare system looks like my grandparents' old-fashioned cable TV when people want Netflix. You need to expand your mindset and your addressable market. To do so, Harlan suggested thinking about a tenfold increase in interaction per year. The idea is to stop thinking about people as patients and consider them instead consumers who should be known entities to hospitals and health systems before they need care. That's what we can learn from Netflix. This isn't the first time I've heard this concept. This is yeah. actually well stated, but it's not the first time I've heard the concept. The question becomes, given it's hard to make the transition, right? It's it's incentives and, and payment models and those kind of things. How do you make the transition when, hey, they come in once a year and we get paid X. We want to touch them 60 times this year and and knowing full well, that your reimbursement from the payer or your reimbursement from Medicare is not going to cover a majority of those visits. Right. If you're sitting as a provider, that becomes the, the biggest challenge. How do, how do so, you get past
1: that? Well, you become a payer. That's what a lot of them do. Yeah, it's interesting if you look at the the you know payer, provider, pharma. Like each one of those, when people say healthcare, each one of those is a huge industry on its own, but they all work together. Like, where else do you have that level of, I don't know what, differences? And actually, if you think about where things have been disrupted before, it's like supply chain. You actually, Amazon becomes its own supply chain. Looking at the pieces between them that's not working and how do you actually disrupt there? And when you were reading that to me, or the audience out there, you weren't just reading it to me, about how he thought about Netflix. That was where I was thinking, okay, that's actually how to think about it which is like what are those assumptions that are wrong because the core assumption there was that you can't keep a dvd as long as you want and netflix was like at the beginning it was like you can keep it as long as you want you're just not getting another one which is brilliant right so where's the assumption of that i think some people have tried to do this but it's almost like you've got to do it through the entire process like i've seen that the assumption that it's better to have a 10 minutes with a patient than an hour. There's something that you can't do care outside the clinic, but it's it's almost like each one of those is chipping away at a little thing. Whereas Netflix in the beginning kind of just went to the core of Blockbuster's business model.
0: Yeah. It's interesting when you look at the DVD by mail kind of thing that disrupted the go down to Blockbuster and actually pick it up and those kind of things. And if you look at, you look at healthcare, you're like, Okay, there's parts of it that are still like Blockbuster. There are parts of it that we call cutting edge that feel a lot like Netflix when you were mailing your DVD back and forth. But the way to make that transition is to really fully embrace the digital tools and to reimagine what healthcare could be Around those digital tools. And I, I know those are buzzwords, but let me tell you what I what I'm thinking. Okay. There's an awful lot of ways to interact with your patient on a daily basis that isn't going to cost you incrementally that much more money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. You could create scale around uh, putting a bunch of clinicians and nurse practitioners and whatever in a in a building and they are your digital arm. And we're not talking uh, a thousand of them, we're talking 50 of them because they're going to be able to handle thousands of digital interactions. And so you create that model, and now you can scale that way beyond what you could the traditional campus and building and clinic. And you can increase your touch points, even if you increased it, you, you doubled it to two, you're better off than you were before. But just know this. Every day you don't do something around digital, there's a competitor out there trying to figure out how am I going to deliver care with 60 touch points a year, 100 touch points a year, 200. I want to help them with all their health decisions. They're eating, their exercise, they're breathing, they're caring for their parents, they're figuring out their insurance bill. I mean, all those are opportunities for a digital disruptor to come in and that's where they live. That's where they're spending all their time right now. And one of the things Glenn and I talked about was when Haven failed, healthcare breathed a sigh of relief and said, see, I told you so. It's a lot harder than you think it is. And Glenn came back with TransKaren. You know what TransKaren is? It's Haven.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm looking at it, I'm going, dude, this is all the promise of Haven. Except it's being built by somebody who really understands healthcare, really understands the incentives and has access to, they've raised over a hundred million dollars already. So
1: I understand the business side of it. I felt like Haven was a little bit too much think tank and not enough on the, you know, nuts and bolts of how do you run the business?
0: Yeah. If I sound like a fan of Glenn Tolman at this point, it it (laughs) probably is because I think everybody should listen to that episode.
1: Well, I mean, he's got an incredible track record. Does anyone else have that kind of record in healthcare? I don't know. Allscripts? Livongo?
0: Yeah. And, you know, we were an Allscripts customer. It's where I first met Glenn. And one of the things is I, I came in from outside of healthcare and I'm like, hey, we need an API. And Allscripts had it. Had a phenomenal API. We had no problems getting data in and out of Allscripts. Now, we had Touchworks. We didn't have their... They ended up buying it at acute care hospital package, which was separate. And we had a different EHR for our acute care facility, which had no API, like never even dreamed of an API, would never even consider an API. It was like night and day. And that's the kind of thinking I think that we are we're missing right now. I, I really wish like this year, I wish I saw a ton of announcements from Epic on how they are going to fuel interoperability and unleash the healthcare ecosystem. <laughs> but we haven't seen it. And you're laughing at me because you're like, do you ever really expect to see yeah,
1: that? Yeah, like that was why I was laughing, yeah. Also, it doesn't really feel like it's a year where they need to do announcements. I mean, and to their credit, right? There's a lot. There was a lot of rapid change for COVID and they had to take that on, so.
0: Yeah, well, I, it's 21st Century Cures, They have to be doing some work around interoperability. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I've been dying to see these announcements for the last seven years. So yes, I'm (laughs) I'm hopeful that we'll see them sometime soon. And it's always great to talk to you. We always have fun conversations. I really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Great to talk to you as well. I always enjoy the conversation. It's great fun to spitball on stuff.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll have to get you back. You're, you're going to start something up again. You and I are going to think of something. You're going to start. You're going to be like, I'm insane. I've done Maybe. that once in a while. I'm life. not ready.
1: You need a break. That, I
0: know. I'm it's, not
1: going to talk this. He doesn't need a break. He goes yeah. from like the one to oh, the other. The I know.
0: And no one's throwing $100 million at you.
1: No, that's true. Someone threw $100 million I'll just put this out there right now. If someone wants to throw money at me. I will do something in healthcare. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. till we get back together again. Thanks, Thanks Anne.
1: Thanks. Bye.
0: What a great discussion. If you know of someone that might benefit from our channel from these kinds of discussions, please forward them a note. Perhaps your team, your staff. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to this show. It's It's conference-level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or they can go wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, which is what I use, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're out there, they can find us. Go ahead, subscribe today, send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well. We want to thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health IT leaders. Those are VMware, Hillrom, Starbridge Advisors, Aruba and McAfee. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.